Hi there, I'm Jennifer Stewart. And I'm Katherine Clark, and we're so glad that you're joining us today for The Honest Talk. We're excited to be bringing you conversations with some of North America's most inspiring women, and we are thrilled to be partnering with RBC as we do so. This podcast is about leaving behind the talking points and diving into the real, authentic, and unique personal stories of our guests. Stories which we hope might influence or inspire your own journeys. So let's get right to it. Dr. Catherine Smart is quite simply an innovator and a change maker. As the president of the Canadian Medical Association, Dr. Smart has been a tireless and vocal advocate for children and youth, access to vaccines, and how we strengthen the Canadian healthcare system. Prior to moving to Canada's North, Dr. Smart was a pediatric emergency medicine physician at the Alberta Children's Hospital in Calgary and the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, Australia. She is a mom to two kids, a wife, and an active member of her community, and we are just thrilled to have Dr. Catherine Smart with us today on The Honest Talk. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's just a thrill for us, and and congratulations on being named as president of the uh, Canadian Medical Association this past August. It's it's a pretty unprecedented time to be in this role. You have a a global pandemic to deal with. Uh, It's calling on you know, health leadership in general, like never before. What what has this been like for you? How are you doing? Thanks for asking. Um, yes, you're right. You know, when I when I first uh, put my name in to become president of the CMA, and when I found out I'd been elected to the position of president-elect, it was literally a month before the global pandemic was announced. So certainly uh, what I was anticipating and, and where we find ourselves has been very different. But you know, I'm I'm doing well. I'm I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be in this role at this time and, and to try to help Canadians through what's been really an, an incredible time in our history. And I feel grateful for all the people that that look to me for my thoughts and opinions and, and the opportunity to try to get people good information to make the best decisions for themselves and their families. Does it feel like a bit of a calling that you were put in this position during this time and that you've been such a tireless advocate for our healthcare system? Like, does it seems, it seems like it was almost meant to be, and you've, you've received such accolades, you know, for your leadership and and your vision. How, how does that feel to you? Well, thank you for saying that. That's very kind. Um, You know, the reason I was drawn to this role was really because of the opportunity for advocacy. You know, I I think for most of us, as you progress through your life and you make decisions about your career and what's coming next, often you come back to those thoughts of, you know, what drives you? What's your purpose? Where do you really find that meaning? And when I was thinking about putting my name in for this opportunity, that's really what I came back to. And what I landed on was that for me throughout my career, advocacy has always been the thing that fires me up the most, brings me the most meaning and where I, I feel the most satisfaction. So I think it, it just ended up that here I am and, and having the opportunity to really use this platform for advocacy. And I like talking. So that's helpful because there's <laughs> a lot of talking in this job. And so those two things kind of came together. And, and I'm like I said before, you know, I'm just really grateful for, for the opportunity. And I've been so proud of physicians and other healthcare professionals. And it's a real honor uh, to be able to represent them. Can I pick up on that advocacy thread that you, you mentioned? Because I read an article. Uh, about when you were a medical student at UBC and you pushed for more real life experiences outside of the lecture hall so that students knew it was happening beyond just the 
the four walls of the classroom and that they could in effect develop real world compassion. So that was advocacy and it resulted in actual changes to the program at your med school. Um, what gives you that drive? Why is advocacy so important to you? You know, I, I think for me, it's it's always kind of been at the core of my personality. I've always been outspoken. I've always been opinionated. I've always had this sense of wanting to seek what's right or justice and trying to pursue those things. I think I grew up in a family where there was a lot of talk about the importance of doing things for other people. Both my parents were very active in our community and really cared deeply about doing things to help others. Uh, my dad used to always say to me when I was growing up, you know, Catherine, you're always happiest when you're doing something for someone else. And, and I have found that to be true. I reflect on that often. You know, I, I think when we pursue purpose over happiness as an endpoint, I think we find happiness along the way. And, and advocacy for me has been a way of doing that. I love that saying purpose over happiness and you find happiness. That's, that's really, really compelling. Speaking of purpose, you're, you're drawn to Canada's North. Um, you're a proud advocate of the North. I, I have a sister that fell in love with Northern medicine and was in Labrador and every Northern community there was. What attracts you to rural medicine and to Northern communities and serving in areas that really are underrepresented by physicians? I think a variety of things. You know, when I was in my my training, I had the opportunity to spend a month in Nunavut, and that really turned me on to the idea of working in Canada's North. Also, as a medical student, I was very interested in global health. And I think as I, you know, progressed in my training, I also really realized there was a lot of very marginalized and underserviced populations here in Canada. Um, and that that same passion that drove that interest could really be applied here as well. So I think those two things kind of came together for me, and, and I, I felt like that was an area where I could make a difference. It's also, you know, as you said, I think for a lot of people, and naturally, people are often drawn to bigger centres and bigger cities. And and for me, when I was working at, in Calgary at the Children's Hospital, which I loved, it was a fantastic place. It's an incredible hospital, incredible staff there, and, and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to train and learn there. But what was very clear to me is, you know, many people wanted that job. You know, mm -hmm. like if I, I would often say, if I dropped dead on shift and someone shoved me under the nearest stretcher, <laughs> there'd be like a lineup of people like ready to jump in and, and sort of take over, right? Which is right. amazing. But when you're in these northern places and, and throughout, you know, even my time when I was an emergency physician in Calgary, I, I worked regularly in northern Manitoba and Thompson as a general pediatrician. And when I was there, I was the only pediatrician. Right. And And what was very clear to me was you know, it, it's harder to attract people to those places um, because it, the work is challenging and you are often alone and, and it's, it's very different than being in a very well-supported environment. Um, so I, I think in the, in the back of my mind, I always felt like perhaps that was where I could make more of a contribution. And then when I reflected on, you know, just where, where we're at right now with health in terms of First Nations and Indigenous, Métis, Inuit communities, and what my role could be as a physician in reconciliation, I also felt like perhaps that was somewhere where I could make a contribution. So those things kind of came together and, and landed me here in the Yukon, where I've been really fortunate to be well supported by the community here to try to build a better program for kids. And now we have a full program and I'm not the only pediatrician. We have three or four of us. We also have a child psychiatrist, a social worker really amazing ties with the leaders and First Nations communities here that uh, we've been able to develop programs there, working with schools and mental health programs, um, and really been able to expand the services available for children and youth. And, and that really was my 
my goal and my vision. And I think it's a, sometimes it just takes someone to sort of start something and then you find like-minded people. And I'm surrounded by those types of people now every day that share that passion and so many amazing leaders here that have also given us guidance and, and how to do our jobs better and meet the needs of their community members better. Um, and it's, it's just a, a great opportunity and it's been a really amazing experience. Jen and I are uh, both mothers like like you are, and we have been navigating uh, the pandemic with our children, all of us collectively, I mean, across across the board. Some of our kids are okay. Some of them are not. How do you support kids in your community and through your professional role to try and ensure that coming out of this, kids are okay? Yeah, it's such a challenging time for kids and youth and families right now. Absolutely. For so many reasons, I think um, there's so many aspects of the pandemic that have been so challenging in different ways, but really who hasn't been touched by this. I think there's several things that are really important. You know, I think one is for me has been that basic advocacy around vaccination and making sure that families have that right information, because I think so much of children and youth getting their lives back and all of us getting our lives back is going to be being vaccinated because it's so impactful in terms of reducing the risk of severe illness. And, and that's so important for children and youth, but also their families. So I felt that, you know, making sure people have that information in our community. And so hopefully we can get those vaccination rates as high as possible is a really practical thing that can actually help people. In terms of, you know, some of the more complex issues for us, I think it's really been about making sure that our service is uninterrupted, that we are available to provide health support uh, to our patients and their families and, and to be flexible about what that looks like, just given where we are with this pandemic. You know, so when it started, we literally pivoted our clinic overnight to virtual when we were in that, those initial lockdowns and, and we weren't able to see people in person unless it was really, you know, needed that. And I was really proud of that. You know, we didn't cancel a single appointment. We just went out virtual overnight. We pivoted to that. And since then, we've been very flexible in how we see people so that people can be seen and be comfortable. Sometimes it's in person. Other times it's over the phone. Sometimes it's video conferencing. But we've really tried to make sure our services are low barrier and accessible. So families and mm. youth and kids that have been struggling with their, whether it's their physical health, their mental health, that we're there to make sure that they're getting connected to the services that they need. And, and the other piece, of course, is, is being available to the community resources here to liaise with them around decision making around health, to make sure that they know how to access us to get kids and youth into our clinic as needed, uh, to make sure that they feel supported in, in the work that they're doing, continuing our outreach to communities. Those are all, I think, the things we've been trying to do to make sure that, that people are getting the health support they need to get through this really very difficult time. That's uh, that's absolutely incredible. And speaking of sometimes the darker side of the virtual world we live in, you have been like so many strong women trolled online for being a strong advocate for vaccines and our healthcare system at large. Um, but your experience specifically went even further. You know, your family was threatened, as were you. What was this experience like for you? And, and how, how do we change this kind of toxic online world that we operate in sometimes so that more women in particular can speak up and, and be vocal about issues that, that are important? Well, it's been so interesting, you know, because I, I think this is another piece of life that's been so different in the pandemic is how many physicians, nurses, scientists have 
had to go online and, and share information in a real, real effort to combat misinformation. So I think for a lot of us, we've taken on a very public facing role that's maybe different than what we're used to. And in a lot of ways, I think that's been incredibly impactful, you know, being able to counter misinformation, being able to make sure people have accurate information, being able to promote vaccination. I think so many of us being online has really contributed to the success of those things in Canada, which has been amazing. But you're right, it has come with that darker side. I think, you know, for myself, I I think like always, you know, you tend to be more worried about the people around you. You know, I I have received threats. Most of them, of course, are anonymous and, and from people I have no idea who they are. And, and that's not pleasant. But you, I think we all sort of recognize this is an unfortunate aspect of where we are. Mm-hmm. Some of the more direct threats where people are saying things like they're following you or watching you. You know, I that's not pleasant by any means. But I, I think of all my other colleagues who have had really much worse things happen to them. You know, they've been physically assaulted, physically threatened, um, had really serious threats made. So I, I often my mind goes to that and what we can do to to protect the profession as a whole, but also recognizing, you know, this is not unique to us as healthcare professionals. Look what's happening to politicians, to journalists. I really feel like anyone who's out there right now in the public eye is being subjected to this. And it's really a a, a new aspect of what's happening in our society that we need to really think carefully about because of course free speech is very important and people being able to have more than one opinion and, and discuss things is critical to our democracy but it's kind of taking this dark side where people are trying to use it to intimidate people to harass people into silence and that's dangerous mm-hmm. so i think it's you know what we're doing at the cma is we are bringing these issues forward as we did to the government unfortunately now we've seen the passage of bill c3 which is really encouraging we're continuing to work with social media um, companies around how do we create safer online spaces not only for those of us trying to use them to share information but also for the public who's using it as a way to get their information um, and we've had good reception there and that's something i'm optimistic i think we can continue to improve um, but, you know, I, I definitely say one of the things I've had to learn is you do have to sort of grow a thicker skin. You know, it isn't mm-hmm. pleasant to open up messages that are unkind or threatening you or saying awful things. No one likes that. So you do have to, I think, sort of work on your own mindset just to take it for what it is and not let it impact you more than it should. Who do you lean on for support in those tough times? Yeah, you know, I'm really fortunate. I've got an amazing circle of friends and family. So I have many strong female friends who are just absolutely incredible women and doing all sorts of things in their lives that are impressive. And they are always a landing ground to vent to or just to get that support or cheerleading, which is amazing. You know, I've my family's totally behind me, my parents and my sister and my own family, my husband and my kids always there sort of cheering me on. So I I think, you know, it's really about surrounding yourself with the people that matter and realizing that in your life, there really only is a few people whose opinions of you are important and you have to remember who those people are. I love that. You know, you're, we've touched upon your, your mom, your wife, you're balancing a ton of demands and doing it very well. And we're very thankful that you are doing it, but what, what do you do for you to kind of recharge your batteries? Oh, I'm a hardcore Peloton addict. So I <laughs> are you really? Yeah, I'm gonna confess something to you guys. So when I moved to the north, I, I really was optimistic that I was going to become a northern outdoors athlete. That vision, I have failed. <laughs> I have injured myself so many times trying to do these different sports, and I've realized indoor stationary biking yep. is my sport. 
It's safe. There's no bears. I can't fall on twigs. No, I can't can't get frostbite. Like there's so many positives. So I I have my Peloton. I'm in a women's physicians riding group. I do different challenges on there. And that just really keeps me kind of going. And I found for me, you know, regular exercise really helps my mood. It it helps kind of, you know, take the edge off any anxiety or frustrations you're feeling. Feels good to do something for yourself. Um, and that's for me been, you know, something I've been able to really kind of stick to and, and do throughout the pandemic. And again, with low risk of injury. So that's been positive. Um, so that's kind of my, my go-to. I really enjoy that. I enjoy, you know, relaxing with, with my family. Often, you know, we just finished watching the modern family, the kids like that every night, we'd sort of watch one together on our big couch as a family with our dog. And that was fun. And, getting outside when it's possible and enjoying the beauty of the Yukon is great. And then of course, just making time to connect with, with friends. So those for me are kind of the main things. Can we circle back to something that you had said when you were talking about working in, in Northern and remote communities, um, especially early in your career, what role do you think that medicine can play in reconciliation? I think medicine is hugely important in reconciliation, particularly when you consider the ongoing racism that we know exists in our health systems and the importance of changing that to make healthcare safe for Indigenous peoples. I think we can have reconciliation in this country until all our shared spaces and services are safe for all Canadians. Um, and healthcare, of course, is so important for people for so many reasons, both physical and mental health. And when you have a group of Canadians that have been marginalized, have experienced colonialism and all the health impacts of that, which are both physical and mental and ongoing, we need our healthcare system to be a safe space um, and to be you know, culturally informed and evolving in a, in a way that actually meets the needs of communities. So I, I think transforming our healthcare system in that direction is critical for reconciliation. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, I've been really grateful here for the opportunity to work with the group here, which is called Council of Yukon First Nations, which is an umbrella organization for 12 of our 14 First Nations, and really learn from them about what it's been like for their citizens to access the healthcare system, you know, where the barriers have been, what some of the negative experiences have been, and how we can work differently to try to make those experiences more positive so that in my situation, children and youth and families can feel safe accessing care. And then we can work as a team to make sure that their needs are actually met. So I I feel that it's critically important because if we're not doing that, then we're not actually helping people. We're not learning together about how to meet their needs. And, And I think you know, when you have a provider-centric healthcare system, it's never going to serve patients the way it could. And, and there's so much learning to be had there from First Nations leaders, just even in their worldview and, and how we can mm. see ourselves differently. How do you hope your term as the president of the Canadian Medical Association is remembered? I guess, you know, it's interesting because I suppose it will be remembered as part of this time in history, which I'm sure we'll reflect on a lot as we move forward. You know, I hope how people would remember me as someone who was an advocate who spoke out on behalf of the profession and of patients and other healthcare providers with integrity, with honesty, was not afraid to take on difficult topics um, and was really here because I am committed to a better future of health for everybody. You really are an inspiration. And, uh, you know, Jen and I and countless other women and and people across the country have 
watched you as you have led through a very uncertain time and you've done so with optimism and with purpose. And uh, we really appreciate that. And we appreciate you giving us your time today. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you both. I've really enjoyed the conversation. That's a wrap. And thank you to our wonderful listeners across Canada and around the world for joining us. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can subscribe to The Honest Talk wherever you get your podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our website, thehonesttalk.ca. Finally, a big thank you to our sponsor, RBC, which offers digital-first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help you realize your true potential. And that's what this podcast is all about. You can find more info at rbc.com slash business. But for now, stay healthy and stay safe. And we truly look forward to having you back soon for more of The Honest Talk.